This is K-12 Tech Talk. K-12 Tech Talk. The podcast by K-12 Techs for K-12 Techs. Real conversations, real arguments, and real banter on trending K-12 technology topics and issues. Live from the somethingcool.com studios, this is the K-12 Tech Talk podcast. Very special episode. I did not do my homework. I don't know what episode number this is going to be because I will tell you, this is a very special episode tonight. Uh, I broke out some of my own bourbon from my own bourbon stash, not Jeremy sending me. I have poured myself a glass of bourbon tonight. I don't know. Chris, what are you drinking tonight? Nothing. I went to Sonic. And I got myself a Nerds Slush with oh. strawberry and lemonade. Good Lord. <laughs> Mark, uh, I don't know what you are imbibing in. I'm not going to uh, say what you are drinking, but it looks like you're drinking some some form of uh, hydration, right? Yeah, it's a it's a big night. We we bust out the big stuff tonight because we have a really cool guest tonight. We Episode do have- 108. 108. So this will be 108. I am drinking Blanton's out of my own uh private reserve because this is such a special episode tonight mark why don't you do the honors since this is a friend of yours uh and you did you did the legwork to uh twist his arm to come on here with us uh you do the honors so tonight we have uh suhail katal who is the current cio of the los angeles unified school district in california Suhail, uh, i've known suhail for a few years and the uh, over the last few months suhail's gone through uh, the the one thing we all don't want to go through, and that is a cyber incident. Uh, and so he's here tonight to talk about that. Just as a full disclosure, there are certain things that we're going to talk about tonight. There are certain things that we're not going to talk about because this is an open interview with Suhail, and we know the district, and we know who we're talking to. So we don't want to do anything that creates any undue risk for the district. So we're going to talk at a high level of what happened at LAUSD and the response that the team took. Uh, and uh, we are going to keep certain things confidential just so we don't create any more future problems for Suhail. So let me turn it over to Suhail right now to introduce yourself. Tell us about how you got to LAUSD uh, and, and how you got into your position. Sure. Thank you, Mark. Um, although I'm at work, so I'm not going to have any drink at work. So uh, with that, uh, I'm Suhail Kessel, uh Chief Information Officer uh, for Los Angeles Unified School District. Um, that's very interesting question. How I got into the CIO in LAUSD, uh, because as they call me, I'm a COVID CIO, CCIO. <laughs> that's what I call myself. There you go. That's a new title. Yeah. Yes. Uh, actually, I got to the CIO position in LAUSD uh, a year before the uh, pandemic hit, but where it was mostly in the transitional work, getting that, you know, you always have your 90 days plan, 100 days plan, all of those. And at the moment that you're working to implement those plans, uh, it's very difficult to um, to focus and get uh, your hands around the organization as a whole. So. Although I was with the organization before, I was at the, um, at the role of the deputy CIO. I was able to have a better understanding and uh, on the infrastructure side. My background was mostly in the private sector when I joined LAUSD about six years ago when I joined LAUSD. And then uh, that helped me to through that transition to get the better understanding of the infrastructure. Um, post... Uh, 
when the pandemic hit, obviously I started focusing most of my effort, like Mark and the rest of my colleagues across the country, to become mostly the uh, focus on device distribution, connectivity, and all basic need of IT, rather than I would say the real role of the IT um, as a chief information officer to provide more intelligent and equitable access to the data. It was mostly about equitable access to the technology, hardware, and systems for the student community. And then, uh, obviously, eventually, uh, we when we came out of the cyber, uh, when we came out of the COVID, uh, mostly hybrid learning, uh, focus on bringing instruction back in the hybrid environment, and eventually go back to class learning. That's interesting. You think it's a turning the lights on? It wasn't. It was mostly coming back with the new, brand new infrastructure. Sorry, I think my choir department is the. If you need to evacuate, that's fine. We got you. We got you. That's LA. That's what you hear every. It's better to be fire department than something else. True. Uh, so yeah. Uh, so overall, that was the my experience with uh, getting to LA USD and working uh, during the pandemic and post pandemic. As you indicated, we started with this uh, unfortunate incident and uh, I'm going through the process of recovery and everything else. So real quick, uh, for those that don't know, I mean, if you're in North America, you know Los Angeles, you know LA, you know the LA Unified School District. But for those that may not know, they're listening somewhere overseas, Australia, uh, Canada, wherever else. Give us an idea of your student population, uh, how big your IT staff is. Um, kind of give us give us that idea. So uh, it is very interesting when uh, when I came with the, to the LA USD from private sector. I was I used to work for United Technology, and United Technology was a conglomerate corporation. Although it doesn't exist anymore, to my surprise, Raytheon bought the company and now is part of Raytheon. We had 250,000 employees when I was in the private sector part of the UTC. And when I was looking at my active directory and domain control system, I used to see these 250,000 as a massive number. Sure. It was, it was massive at the time. And the company with $150 billion revenue and 250,000 users. When I came to LAUSD, the first thing that I said, wow, and my jaw dropped, I saw 1 million users in active directory. Wow. <laughs> So that tells you a lot. That tells wow. you wow. They don't see education the way that they should see it because they consider our budget or everything else. But reality is the infrastructure in education, especially K-12. Again, when we say education, everybody talking about higher ed and everything else. In K-12 is very different than anything else you can imagine. Yeah. That's why in LA, USD, we like to, I don't know, maybe it's a proud thing. We're proud to break things. The break capacity of any infrastructure component that you can imagine to get them to the limit for the vendors and manufacturers to enhance their product. But yes, we have about one point right now at this point, we have 1.5 million users in our active directory system uh, in our identity systems, including active directory. It's about, uh, 600,000, uh, 500,000 student K through 12. About 50,000 early education students, about 150,000 adult students, um, and we have about uh, 
110,000 110, uh, employee and contractor. Plus, we have about half a million, uh, sorry, 700,000 parent account in our system. We create account and identity for parents to access the system. So when you add all of this, that tells you the size as far as the population. One metrics I always like to talk about is the, uh, our infrastructure. So the, uh, we have 1,300 schools across the city. Um, we run fiber optic and networks for these uh, 1,300 schools. The last number I remember, we have 29,000 miles of cabling across our school. It gets you one time around the earth. Plus, from here to New York, so I can come up see Mark if I want with that. I date. feel like this guy's bragging right now. I don't know. <laughs> well, listen, I, I think some of these numbers are going to come back to bite him later on in this description. So, so oh, I love it. I love right it. Right before the fall. <laughs> yes, yes. It's our fun fact, uh, but it's very uh, impressive. Uh, one key in the metrics that probably relates to cyber attack and we should be maybe uh, i should bring it up over here we have 16 um petabyte of a storage uh data and uh <laughs> on top of it we receive 35 million um at uh, essentially uh, i would say threat or attack every year wait say that number again the attack number yeah 35 million we detect them. So you're detecting what? What are you defining as an attack? Obviously, DDoS, phishing, uh, uh, anything, any uh, any type of a detection that IDS and IDS. Okay. System. Not this. Oh, hey, I'm not talking about incident. Incident. Sure. Hopefully, by incident, never got it that high. So. Right. Yeah. Right. Wow. Like the, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, Okay, so, so so let's pivot here because you just had some very impressive numbers. Um, but the one of the reasons why we're really excited to have you on is because you've gone through our worst nightmare. You've gone through an incident. So yep. if if you could take us through, um, I, I guess you could call it D Day. What 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 happened when you first got the call, and you were alerted to something's wrong? No. We call it D-Day, you're correct, but uh, we even coined that day with the minute and the time of the incident uh, and literally coined it. And I will probably going to send you one. Um, so it was a, a very interesting time. You know that usually most of the attack happens in the long weekends, and this was no exception. Uh, it was a Labor Day weekend. Uh, the, and that usually those are the time you uh, essentially wind down your staff, people taking time off mostly. Uh, so uh, we have a 24-7 network uh, operation center. Um, and then uh, about, I would say, 8, 9 p.m., 9 p.m. that you noticed um, unusual activity in one of the... Uh, one of the separate system from our IT infrastructure. It was a facilities infrastructure. And uh, no surprise, sometimes you see in organization, there is some uh, autonomy and some type of a federation across IT department and not everybody have a centralized IT shop. And it was the same scenario. Um, there was a separation, but we still saw the activity and the movement and uh, we were notified. And um, 
that was a very hectic uh, uh, thing that you know uh, you're dealing with when you see um, essentially, let's say, bad actor trying to move laterally. When you see bad actor may uh, try to run an encryption on your system and everything like that. So obviously, when we saw those activities, uh, we, it was isolated to a separate system. Um, and the team uh, tried the escalation process. An escalation pro process obviously worked really rapidly and fast. It was actually, that was one of the successful part of this in incident that helped us to uh, mitigate the situation to the extent that was possible. And uh, the escalation got to the data center director, data center director to, uh, uh, to the, uh, we call it shared technical services, the shared technical services ultimately escalated to me. So from 8.30 to, I would say, 9.30, 10, I got notified about the incidents about an hour and a half as the team were working on the incident to identify the impact. By the time that I got it, uh, I was literally driving back to the uh, Bodri, which is our uh, essentially command center, our um, uh, one of our data centers. We have multiple data centers, but that was one of our data centers. I was driving over there to meet with my team. Uh, we were regrouping. One thing you want to make sure when you are in a cyber incident, relying on the virtual connection and platform that you were relying in the past probably is not the best option. Uh, you need to have a proximity access to the infrastructure. And at the same time, you need to have an out-of-band communication system to keep those communication active. So we activated the out-of-band communication. And at the same time, uh, we were trying to regroup to be able to make faster decision uh, without being interrupted by communication uh, nightmare that everybody always deal with. So uh, I got to the... Uh, to the to our data center to Baudry, and we started uh, grouping and discussing what are the movement that is as they were happening. So when you see those movement, uh, the first thing you need to protect is your crown jewel, uh, and the crown jewel for us was uh, essentially our IT infrastructure versus facilities infrastructure. So what we did, we uh, activated our firewall systems uh, to isolate and quarantine facilities system to access to anything. To the rest of the IT infrastructure. The second thing that we did, uh, which um, remember that when bad actors get into your system, uh, they are in your system. It's not like they are, uh, and your uh, activating firewall rule is not going to prevent them from getting in because they already. That's why you need to come up with the immediate action to mm, stop them from spreading beyond what they are. And that's what we did. We uh, made a, a rational decision at the moment. Uh, to completely cut down our access for all of our system. And I'm not talking about firewall, I'm talking about network system access from the from both data center and uh, through the internet. When we stopped that activity, obviously the bad actor lost anyway, even through the auto bank. Even if they had compromised auto and they wouldn't be able to get it. That's what I'm trying to say. You probably saw, well, when they, a bad actor in other scenarios like Uber case, they, uh, they break into your uh, emergency systems and everything else. You don't know what's happening. The first action is mitigate immediately so you uh, understand the impact. And that was our action. We stopped the network activity. We stopped the internet access and everything. And then we went through the... Uh, through the uh, routine process that you usually do for any cyber incident, essentially uh, going through the 
detection, respond, eradicate, and whole nine yards of the cybersecurity practices. It's funny to hear you say that, that one of the first things you guys did focus on was was removing access like that, because these, Mark and Chris will tell you that I, I have a running joke that I've told my guys, if something like this happens and we get those calls of, hey, I, you know, my machine's encrypted or we're seeing this weird activity, we've got a pair of scissors next to our fiber that goes to the internet and that, that line is getting cut. Um, so it, it's funny to hear you say that because that's, in my head, that's the very first thing that we're, that we're gonna do. Uh, yeah, it, it, that's that's just. It's comical. not a joke. Like you're super serious about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like there really are scissors, right? Yes, yes, there are in the data center. Yes. So 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 this is what at what time of the day is this? This was a long weekend. It was the Friday night before Labor Day weekend. At what time are you cutting off the entire system? To be exact, at twelve fifty-two. Uh, of the midnight, when we passed the midnight, 12.52, we cut off the internet. And actually, that's the time we, uh, we coined it uh, in our uh, response team coin, because I knew it literally, we tracked it through the log. You know, the, there was yeah. involvement on law enforcement. They were working with us. FBI, CISA, and uh, DHS, they were all working with us, um, including local law enforcement agencies. But the main focus was tracking the logs and activity to see uh, any activity around the data exfiltration and anything else. And that time, with everything is solved. And one thing was very unique about this, uh, obviously our superintendent, uh, it was never, and we still never uh, want to name the bad actor. And if sure. we don't of their name up, because we don't want to give them value. We don't want to give them credit. We don't want their name to be important because they are criminals, no matter what. Yeah. Uh, and uh, But reality is uh, they admitted uh, that they failed uh, in uh, essentially breaching us. Remember, there are two sections when you do the... Um, essentially this type of activity is step one, you want to encrypt and cripple the organization and step two, do the data exfiltration. The step one, obviously they failed. Their encryption was not successful to the extent that they were expecting us to cripple us. Yes, and step two, it was a data exfiltration, which is the total data that they uh, exfiltrated from our system and it was published uh, is about 400 gigabytes. And you know that that size of your laptop hard drive compared to 16 petabyte of storage of data that the district had in position. Oh, Most of the data was uh, public information from facilities contract. And there were, unfortunately, some of the other sensitive information, which was very limited and the impact was uh, reasonable. So and, you you said you cut everything off at, at 12.52 a.m. And, and you mentioned that law enforcement was involved, FBI, CISA. Were, were those folks involved that early in the process when you guys made that decision, if you can say that, were, like, were there folks on site already or you guys had already made contact with your con with with response folks that you knew with with the agencies? Uh, were they there that quick? You know, they are. They were not. <laughs> they, they, <laughs> you're on your own when you are in a cyber attack. Uh, it doesn't matter what it, what level it is. It's a DDoS asylum, anything. We are the first responder. We are on our own until we do, uh, essentially we do the re first response. 
when it comes to the detection part, that's where the uh, other resources comes handy. Your cyber insurance resources, the federal resources, your contractor, your vendor. The, that's why real, uh, really detection part, it is was it was us. And when, when I'm saying us, when you work in the middle of the night, how many people you can pull in? Probably five, six people. Right, right. Response, incident response state that they are uh, protecting the district and getting that key decision being made in that early minute is very crucial to do the rest of the activity. So the incident command and everything else. So, so two calls you had to make that night that I'm curious what it was like. First is your family, basically to say, I'm not coming home for quite a long time. And the second is probably the superintendent. So what were those calls like, or can you describe a little bit about, you know, how you had to notify those around you around what happened? Uh, first of all, uh, probably you tell my wife, she's not going to like this, but I didn't call her. I texted her. I said, I'm not going to don't wait for it. <laughs> <laughs> don't call me. So, uh, but definitely I called the superintendent literally on the phone and the uh, superintendent immediately responded. We, uh, I shared the situation with him. Um, our superintendent coming from the background of knowing the uh, criticality of the cybersecurity based on his past experience in Miami and every uh, other experience that he had in his life. So he knows how crucial is this early moment, early minute. Uh, and it wasn't surprised that they called him because when the day that he arrived in Los Angeles for the first time, when he accepted the job, the first thing that he asked from me was a briefing about the cybersecurity infrastructure of the district and you received the first briefing. One of the first briefing in the first week was for me. Wow. So he was uh, attentive. He was very aware uh, and wanted to be involved in IT and he still is. Therefore, yeah. I had him up. Again, I had direct access to his personal cell phone and I was able to reach him directly and escalate the situation. Um, definitely, he that comes the trust trusting me to leave it up to me, make the decision, and he makes the communication. And even engaging the long, uh, the federal and everything else, it was my call, it wasn't anybody else's call. That's, that goes back how much you can build that relationship with your uh, CEO, with your president, with your superintendent. Not to become like 50 people's decision when you need to make a decision during the incident. I think one of the lessons learned from this that actually was part of my uh, uh, when I had when I was in the panel and, uh, and talking with the FBI team, it was exactly that you need a real incident commander that can make a decision on site when everything is not working the way that it should. So somebody need to make that calls and the decision, and I was the one making the decision. Obviously, yeah. I wish. At the time, I had the CISO, and my CISO would have made that call. <laughs> I didn't have, so I made that call. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, uh, which actually, that's well, later we're probably going to talk about it. That was course correction that we got. But uh, definitely, superintendent was uh, uh, getting engaged really fast, and the recommendation was to engage uh, federal agencies and other resources that they can help us mitigate this situation. So... And talk about those first 48 hours or three days. What what was the 
that like? The level of obviously anxiety is going to be super high. Um, you know, just just that that environment being in the first forty eight hours. I assume within the first forty eight hours. I mean, we've all read stories about you know the the FBI is coming on site. Uh, I even read a report at one point that that someone picked up the phone and called the White House. I I would love to be able to say that I picked up the phone and called the White House. Um, so talk talk kind of about those first forty eight hours and and what that um, response was like once people started showing up to help. How how that went? So it was really fast. Um, so one thing you well you should always pay attention. Just me picking up, telling F, uh, FBI, hey, I have a uh, security incident doesn't mean FBI going to show up at your door. Definitely, there are going to be some conversations, some due diligence, some escalation, and that necessitate their presence. Um, because um, the team in FBI that they're engaged in the cyber response is a very small team, but they are amazingly, I would say, I don't know. I don't know how to describe it, but probably you've seen them probably in some sci-fi movies rather than from up. And I, it, you may feel I'm exaggerating, but reality is that huh. this was amazingly good. The technologies that they were using, they were beyond the technologies that an organization like us or even any other private sector could claim that they can use. And they are, uh, and beyond that, they are very skilled. And when they know what they are doing, they are. Uh, fast in detecting. And remember, these are, uh, they have case expert that knows the bad actor. They bring that, uh, therefore they can study where to look, where to identify the footprint versus you, if you do all of those without the team experience like that, it's like you're shooting in the dark. You sure. Jump, you don't know where you're going to get or how you're going to find the information. So they were very instrumental to involve, but uh, yes, uh, the contact with the FBI made actually by our superintendent. He made uh, we made the call to the uh, um, to the Department of Education, to the White House, and the feds, the feds were at the earliest stage of the work. And uh, due to the severity of the issue, that was one. The size of the LAUSD was important for them not to cripple the organization like us. But I think one more thing that uh, helped uh, to bring this FBI faster than any other response was the fact that we stopped the attack mid-attack and we communicated that with them. So there are two things. So obviously, if you stopped it, why would they come in? So you already stopped it. The reality is um, we were able to preserve very instrumental uh and probably is the first time I'm publicly saying that very instrumental uh, information for uh, uh, for a federal government investigation against this bad actor. Uh, to the extent I cannot give you more detail, what? But a lot. Imagine when you are running a uh, encryption system and encryption crashes. What would you get from that encryption? Would sure. you? Some very uh, crucial evidence and even some uh, some type of a reverse engine and everything else. Interesting. So, in a sense, it was very instrumental for FBI to be involved. We were helping them. They were helping us. So it was both way mutual conversation. And that's why typical with FBI engage or any other law enforcement engaging in investigation, there's the, they have a short deploying. They come in like two, three and they do it two, three days daily. Uh, believe it or not, 
they were cycling through agents uh, because they were getting exhausted day and night. But by the way, it was 24 hours work. It wasn't like, oh, it's 5 p.m., let's go home. <laughs> it was 24 <laughs> hours away. Yeah. There were three different shifts. People were working. Uh, we had our own partner. Microsoft also was a good partner in this part. We engaged a special uh, unit inside Microsoft that they are responding to cyber attack. Um, and I learned for the first time about this team. I didn't know that they exist. And really, they are working with any agencies, including government agencies, to help them during cyber attack. They call them DART. And that DART team was also very instrumental to work with FBI hand in hand during the investigation. So you, you just mentioned that people were there 24 hours. Like you, know, like, like you said, nobody's quitting at 5 o'clock or 6 o'clock and going having pizza and beer. Um, what... Was your time on site like? Like, are you you're sleeping in your office if you're sleeping at all? What what was that like? Uh, yeah, not just me and my deputies and others. We were all here. Um, live. Yes, maybe I would take like one hour, two hours, just nap in my office. We were just you know, whenever you have a high priority project, what would you do? Order pizza for everybody. Sure. <laughs> A party for three or four days and nights. I'd be eating up pizza that I ate pizza. Especially- <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're, uh, I was taking a nap in the office, getting back to work. Uh, one night I decided um, I, after three nights that I couldn't get an office sleep. Uh, and probably if you search uh, the incident and see my picture, I go after it three days. We had our first press conference. And uh, and when I went to that press conference, um, the reporter, I think it was uh, uh, one of these news agencies uh, that took my picture, put it in the media. They took my picture from the below my chin, and I'm looking at the sky. You should Google it and find it. That's a very funny picture. And literally, it's like <laughs> I'm praying, God, just help me. Let me get some sleep. <laughs> the reality was that I needed rest. So I, I, dry, I was driving back home to get a little bit of sleep and, uh, come, and to come back fresh the next morning after three days. So we knew we uh, essentially did the detection. We did the response. We were working on eradication. And that was the time I said, okay, I can get, and I had my deputy to take over the uh, uh, the war room. We created the war room. You asked what environment was it. The entire floor was locked down. Nobody in and out. There was a specific area dedicated to the feds to do their own investigation. There was another area for myself, my team, war room. Superintendent was involved in that war room also. He was coming to get the update. So we we will be able as transparent as possible by the next day that we were working. And yeah, that was the only time that I went home. And I remember it was like about two, an hour or two hours of sleep. And then I got a call. I need to come back because there was a finding that it was the critical escalation. And you know that. When you're in the middle of this investigation, you'll find things that you need to address right away. And that was that was it. I came back to the office. I was in the work for the next three days. So six, seven days in a row I was working. Oh, Just my gosh. One I shower, found the picture. One shower after three days, I came back and then. <laughs> wow. There's an American flag in the background and he is looking up to the sky exhausted. Thanks. <laughs> Exactly, that's the big got it. That wraps up part one of our interview. You'll have to come back to hear the rest. We do want to thank our sponsors for their support of this podcast. They make great episodes like this possible. 
in particular Visor, that's V-I-Z-O-R. They can help you with Chromebook management and inventory and pretty much any asset management you got in K-12. If you have the task of creating reports for title funding or any kind of funding where you have to track where the funds were spent, Visor, that's B-I-Z-O-R, can help you. Check out visor.com slash K-12 Tech Talk to learn more and get 20% off. Also, thanks to Fortinet, they do more than just firewalls, but they also have a top-notch kick-butt firewall. You can email Fortinet Podcast at Fortinet.com, and Chris there will tell you all about it. Make sure you tell him that we sent you. Extreme Networks is a proud sponsor of the podcast. Email Dominic at dmayer at extremenetworks.com for specs and quotes, and he will hook you up. And then two more. We got somethingcool.com. Email Jeremy at somethingcool.com about information about their cybersecurity offerings. And finally, last but not least, Provision Data Solutions. You can hit up Jeff, Derek, and Ryan. Those guys are awesome. See you next time.